0: What comes to mind is a notion of conditional and unconditional regard. If you're not valued along the way for your accomplishments, do those accomplishments really total up and contribute to your self-esteem? If there's conditional regard placed on a young athlete and they're valued or acclaimed only for their successes or their scores or their points, then they may come to value themselves only in the context of their athletic performance. But if there's been good coaching along the way, then they come to, maybe they develop a healthier relationship with self-esteem and achievement. Welcome
1: to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project.
2: Hello, everyone. Today, Jim sits down with Lawrence Rubin, a brilliant psychologist and play therapist specializing in working with children, teens, and families He's co-authored many journal articles and books for the Popular Culture Association and is an editor for Psychotherapy.net. As a professor of counselor education at St. Thomas University and adjunct online professor at the University of Massachusetts, Boston, he shares his knowledge with countless people each year. To this day, he's also a golfer, father, husband, mosaicist, citizen of the world, collector of antique bicycles, and just an all-around awesome guy. Remember to follow the Good Athlete Podcast so you never miss an episode. Also, remember to share your favorite moment on social media. We thank you for listening, and let's get right to it.
0: I would imagine that there are some coaches who work very hard to establish a close connection with their athletes, one of trust, uh, one that they hope They can use to build the athletes motivation and self-esteem and self-confidence and and i imagine some of these athletes especially the trauma uh those who've experienced trauma don't trust easily and um quickly so just as in a therapy relationship i imagine a good coaching relationship I, i don't mean coach professional coaching i mean athletic coaching a good coaching relationship requires a foundation of trust and that takes time so maybe there's a wariness among certain coaches to refer these kids out to a professional therapist uh and that particular kid may be wary to open up again and and also maybe self-conscious about oh my gosh um, why am i going to see a therapist what's wrong with me you know the coach may be able to make some inroads into the young athletes' psyche, so to speak, um, that might otherwise take a professional therapist a while to mm-hmm. develop, if at all. And even then, um, if the therapy's not paid for, if there's no insurance to cover it, if the, if the kid feels pressured to talk, the therapist, you know, although well-intended and very experienced, even in, in athletics, may not make the same inroads that a coach will make. So I yeah. think the co- coaches need to be as self-aware as therapists might. How's that for people talking?
3: I I think that's a great, I think that's fantastic. I think, um, and you bring up something so, I just think there's untapped potential in all of the space that you just mentioned. First of all, the development of trust, absolutely. If you've got Mm -hmm. someone who is, say you have someone who's experienced a a level of trauma anywhere along the spectrum of, of lowercase T to capital T, whatever it is.
0: Yeah, yeah.
3: You know, maybe they're not, ready to sit down and open up, likely not ready to sit down and open up. But could they enter an environment that makes them feel a little safer physiologically, uh, you, you know, literally moving around developing a certain, uh, you know, the cascade of neurochemicals that ought to improve mood and cognition and things like this, the peer to peer and peer to uh, and, and athlete to coach bonding that uh, would, would almost inherently create this level of trust. I can't tell you how many stories I have, including my own where, uh, you know, the first coach putting his arm around a kid and saying, good job, kid, was just like
0: paradigm shift. Yeah. Uh,
3: you know, so, so you're right. When you use word inroads, that term makes a whole lot of sense. And then the question becomes, how do we empower coaches to recognize that potential to understand what their role in that whole situation might be? Uh, in, in fact, I'll, I'll throw this out to you. We, we yeah. use this sort of catchphrase uh we we sports don't teach life lessons that's our our thing sports don't teach life lessons coaches cultures that's where the life lessons are coming from it's not an automatic byproduct of the space incredible power and potential in the space but it's not happening automatically
0: there's lessons whether it's on the field or off the field it could be you know in a subway it could be a dunkin donuts it could be at home around the dinner table, there are always lessons happening. But like you said, if there isn't a mediator, uh, if there isn't someone who's aware enough to see the learning potential in that moment, then the moments are wasted. So it makes Mm -hmm. you wonder uh, how many life lessons occur on and off the field, especially on the field that could be mined or tapped by a self-aware coach and a coach Mm -hmm. who is open to seeing sport. As a playing field, a metaphor for the playing field of life. Um, yeah. so, so I imagine it take it would take a, a relatively self aware, maybe evolved, maybe a little more mature and older person in the form of a coach who could use those life lessons more effectively than you yeah. know maybe a young coach who's trying to prove his or her worth to the organization or to the school yeah. or on the field and you know sees the kids only as tools for his, mm-hmm. his or her own aggrandizement or advancement as a coach. So it depends on a lot of factors. Yeah. Uh, same with therapy.
3: And, and couldn't you, that's so good. So there's two roads I want to take that down. One of them is in the way that you just explained, you could also imagine a scenario where this incredibly powerful learning platform goes the opposite direction. If you're a coach who is, uh, you know, you, you get a bad call in the field, field, you know, from a referee and you lose your freaking mind, yeah. Okay, like you're demonstrating to the kids that, you know, a certain form of emotion regulation, which is not very regulated. You're always teaching something in these yeah. cases.
0: Um, no, it's yeah. interesting because physiological arousal, peak physical performance, or at least optimum physical performance are a part of any effective athletic performance. Uh, so how does the coach tap into the endorphins and the adrenaline and the physiological arousal that kids need to do the job on the field, uh, while also helping those kids to re-regulate. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it's not all, you know, chest-thumping and ball-slamming and creaming somebody else or yeah. doing this fantastic backwards dunk or some other bullshit. <laughs> it's, it's helping helping these athletes to regulate themselves, even at the height of peak arousal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And if the coach is running up and down the sidelines or running up and down the boards or, you know, screaming from the dugout like a lunatic, um, but doesn't talk to the kids about the importance of re-regulating themselves after the score, after the dunk, after the run, um, after the the hard hit, then a life lesson's lost.
3: Yeah. And and I would even add to that, you said even... I would even say especially, especially at the peak of arousal, right? Mm-hmm, because, mm-hmm. I mean, and you can imagine th- that's that's important for everyone, all of us, but especially for the, um, when you think of the possible prevention or intervention, the, the role that sports could play in the life of that young person, um, trauma would trigger a physiological arousal in certain mm. situations. What we've found is that if you can selectively impose a similar, it's not similar, it's not exactly the same, but if you can selectively enter a scenario, whether it's training or exercise, weight training, who knows, um, where you're physiologically elevated in some way, then you can begin in a thoughtful scenario, something akin to CBT, you know, or or, or train self-talk, frame the experience uh Mm -hmm. remind yourself that you entered into this scenario hopefully kind of like aiming at a rewiring
0: yeah
3: and and that's like man that'd be like sort of an ideal wouldn't this be wonderful if this is how we approached it but as you mentioned uh you know if uh if you get a bad if, if you know you get picked off at second base and you're and your coach is losing his mind in the dugout how this could be i don't i don't even know either either take you down an even longer path or 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 really put a stamp on yeah. what it is you think you already know. Uh, and there's
0: another something else comes to mind. <laughs> I like you know TikTok clips of sports events. I don't have much patience for sports events beyond golf, which is probably an oxymoron. <laughs> um, you know, too much testosterone, too much screaming and hitting and violence. Yeah. Uh, but you know, there's nothing like watching Bo Jackson, you know, break a bat over his knee. Um, sure. you know, when some of these athletes at all levels just lose their shit on yeah. the field they're performing. Um, they're performing in front of an audience and granted part of that audience is also physiologically aroused and just wants to cathart and just, you know, lose their minds. Uh, but when you're performing to a crowd, you have a certain obligation, especially I think at the professional level, elite level, um, you're a role model. You're a role model for some of the younger people in the audience who, uh, are looking to your performance itself as a life lesson. Yeah. So that physiological reactivity is a shared experience of both the athletes mm-hmm. and those watching the athlete perform.
2: It's yes. relational.
0: It's relational. There's a community, even though the community action seems to be on the field, on the boards, on the base paths, you know, is it the same? It's not the same without the audience. Um, so.
3: Yes. It's not the same without the audience. Yeah. Yeah. What a what an interesting idea! I never thought about that. I think a lot about you use the word proof. I think a lot about the word proof recently. Uh, I I have been thinking about it a lot recently. <clears throat> but that idea that like the you know the person <clears throat> punching a wall or breaking a breaking a bat over their knee and you you wonder how many of those things if they were doing this in a vacuum and they didn't have the audience and they didn't have the other people would is that the response they would have or are they or is it pageantry, at least to some degree? Or is it a little bit of both? There's an activation, then the yellow, they know that they have to, you know, I, I don't know what it would be, but there, there does seem to be some relationship between the environment and the
0: reaction. Well, it would really be interesting. can't do it now, I guess, unless we review a videotape. But when stadiums and arenas were empty during COVID and athletes were performing, you know, in stadiums, on, on the field, on the boards, uh... On the ice without audiences, and I know right. that did occur. Yep. You want you wonder what it was like then? What what was the uh, level of misbehavior? What was the level of community on you know on the field when there wasn't the you know the audience showing saying thumbs up, thumbs down, off with their head kind of thing?
3: That is so interesting. I Mm -hmm. So much double back on that. There'd be factors, you know, there'd be variables where it's where it's like, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe the stress was elevated. The NBA is playing in a bubble. There's other factors at play. But I wonder if if just that element of like the, you know, you take the gladiator out of the arena, does do they still behave in the same way? I don't know. I don't know either.
0: (laughs) I'll leave that one for you.
3: I well, I'll do my best. I'm gonna throw something out there to you that I think is uh, kind of compelling, and I wonder. I just want to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, I've been doubling back on my own experience and career recently, and that room, the the word per, uh, proof jumps out so significantly. And here's what I think I'm discovering, and I and, and I and I'm saying it out loud because I think it's a pattern that once I see it, I start to recognize it in all sorts of different places.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I think early on. Uh, you know, I I was able to uh maybe not heal some wounds, but but receive the sort of support that I that I that I needed at the time. And I'm not to mm-hmm. go too deep into my um right into my history that. necessarily, but but right. I I know that that football changed my life for the better, and and it was so meaningful and it was there at the right time. All this stuff. I also know that as my football career progressed, mm-hmm. I some part of my internal state uh, began to braid together a feeling of self-worth and accomplishment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you know, and you, and you almost can't help but think, well, if I wasn't performing in the way that I was performing, would I still have this support from these father figures? You know, would I be cussed out if I'm getting cussed out? Mm -hmm. If you miss a block versus you put it as having someone put their arm around you, if you, if you make a nice play, uh, that says something. And if you're finding a sense of self worth through sport, that feels like a, the, the precipice there feels really tricky, if that makes sense. Now, it wasn't said all that outwardly. And I'm mm-hmm. very, and I look back on my career with incredible fondness. I played 16 seasons all through college, got the opportunity to play in the Arena League and overseas, had a wonderful, wonderful time,
0: set mm-hmm. of
3: experiences, learned a lot of life lessons along the way. But only recently has it come to my attention that, man, do I have an unhealthy relationship to accomplishment? I Mm. feel like if I'm not accomplishing something, if I don't have another plaque to put on the wall every so often or another thing to highlight every so often, um, I I start to feel anxious. You know, like what have I done recently sort of deal.
0: Psychologists and sociologists talk about the notion of locus of control. Yep. Um, And where they wonder where do people derive their sense of worth their sense of control is it from internal standards and achievements or is it from a recognition of those achievements from the others and i know there's a lot been a lot of research done in health in the arena of health locus of control and probably even in sports locus of control so it's interesting jim that you as you shared your journey what comes to mind is a notion of conditional and unconditional regard Um, If you're not valued along the way for your accomplishments, do those accomplishments really total up and contribute to your Mm. self-esteem? Certainly, if there's uh, there's conditional regard placed on a young athlete and they're valued or acclaimed only for their successes or their scores or their points or their tackles or their three-pointers, then they may come to value themselves only in the context of their athletic performance. But if there's been good coaching along the way, sort of like Ted Lesko, uh yeah, in my mind, right. um, then they come to maybe they develop a healthier relationship with self-esteem and achievement. And they come to bifurcate the process and recognize mm. that regardless of how I achieve, uh, I'm still worthy. I'm still a good person. I'm still, uh, I'm still accomplished, but maybe not always in um, in my sport. So those two thoughts come to mind as you shared your evolution.
3: So, I, well, I appreciate you saying that, and, and I think the word bifurcates an interesting one because I think there is sort of there, there's two things happening at once here, and I think the people who'd push against this sort of thing would fall into the camp of we can't give everyone a trophy, and right. that's fair enough, also. But, but, but I don't think these things are necessarily at odds, right? Can you not build, you know, remind the kid that they're valuable regardless of how this plays out. Also, you went the wrong direction when we ran this play and we have to adjust that, you know? Right.
0: It depends what kind of reinforcement they're getting off the field. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if if we're talking about kids, are we talking about mostly younger athletes? I I, I would say yes, but but I think
3: the pattern I've recognized is that this is applying to all of us regardless of yeah, yeah, really.
0: You know, if if an athlete's sense of validation and their self esteem becomes tied solely to their performance during sport, and that's reinforced off of the field, off of the courts, off of the ice. Uh, then there's le- probably less of a chance of developing a sense of self-worth that's not tied to their mm-hmm. sport. But yeah. if a young athlete goes home and they're valued irrespective of their performance, or I imagine it's harder when they get to the professional level because sure. you know you take one step in the wrong direction, and there's 500,000 hits on social media about how right, failure right. they are. You know, there's such a, a, a scrutiny because of the internet, uh, which probably makes it harder for some to yeah. create that bifurcation. Um, yep. so it depends how it's reinforced off the field. You know, it would be interesting, I think, to look at those younger athletes who are on a trajectory towards excellence, high school, college, maybe even semi-pro or pro, and then had a life-altering accident where their self-worth was no longer tied to their performance because their athletic careers were now foreclosed. Um be interesting to look at how those athletes who were on that success trajectory were deprived of that because of a life-altering in- injury and how they rallied to feel good mm-hmm. about themselves moving on.
3: I don't know why you're coaxing this out of me, but can I share a personal story on that?
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, you're not sharing it with me. You're sharing it with however many people are listening. That's
3: fair, it. enough. It's fair enough. Fair enough. listen to it. So I'll say, well, there's two things that that jump out to me from what you just said. The first is that there's this really tricky, you mentioned the pros it's this, this sort of ethical paradox where it's like to achieve at this incredibly high level, you have to devote almost all of yourself in most cases. And and so what, what that means is like the, the, the cliff on the other side of the career, however Mm -hmm. it ends, whether it, whether you play till you're in your forties, like Tom Brady, or it, it ends abruptly, like you just mentioned, the the cliff is steep. So uh, if you're not doing a thoughtful onboarding, and as you mentioned, the off the field stuff isn't supportive enough. um, My goodness. You know, the post-career athlete is, you know, that that's a story in the news daily. You know, yeah. and 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 um. Anyway, I won't go down that road right now. I just want to be totally open and vulnerable about my own stuff. So I'll tell you, like I said, I played 16 seasons of football. I know that I had this complicated dynamic going on. Uh, I shifted to a career in coaching, uh, as I've mentioned. It's both, you know, it, it's athletic coaching. It's it's coaching individuals and leadership teams, leadership and organizational development, et cetera, et cetera. But I, if I wasn't winning, if I wasn't coaching teams that are that are winning, um, yeah. that was weighing on me. That would weigh on me in in a way that was more complicated, or maybe it's really easy. Maybe it's not all that complicated. Maybe it's very direct. But it was hard on me. So anyway, what does that mean? It means I'm in pursuit of all these things. I'm I, I'll say this, not as proof, just as context. I've been very fortunate to have been part of 40 state and national championship teams. 11 of them, I was the head coach. At, once I finished my football career, I was competing in powerlifting. I'm I'm doing all this stuff and trying to get all of the you know these accolades. You know, I had a knee injury probably two years ago during COVID. Mm. I had a knee injury that put me out like Larry. Leveled. Uh, I'm I'm literally I compete in a powerlifting meet, go for a run around my neighborhood in Wicker Park, Chicago, and then pff, collide with something. And, and I can't, you know, I, and my life changes pretty significantly for a while. Had to have surgery, chipped a piece off the back of my, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Mm. I, it, I don't think I wanted to recognize it at the time. I think I was, I don't know if I was dissociating or denying or something, but, but, but I, but it was, like I said, I didn't see it at the time, but all of a sudden this vehicle by which I had received a sense of value and worth taken. And, um, you know, thankfully, there are far more tragic accidents than a knee injury. But, um, (laughs) you know, my, uh, my, it was enough enough. to stabilize you. Yeah. And, and my best friend who, who's in the, this world, mentioned something to me that I never thought about I was having these I've never sh- I can't believe I'm sharing this right now I'm not sure <laughs> this is going to go out to a lot of people I was I having uh night sweats mm. um that when I talked to the doctor about it he thought maybe there was uh you thought maybe it was uh some kind of infection it was all these symptoms mm.
0: of infection of course he would but it's but there was.
3: That's right, but there was nothing during the day. There was nothing. I would take my temperature in the morning, and I'm fine. I would take the temperature of the area because they they were like, well, you should notice redness and swelling around the whatever. Any... Nothing, and yeah. I would wake up, and I would be. I I'm telling you, it was. I would take off my shirt, and and I would drop it on the floor. It would. It was land with a thud. It was that I was sweating that hard, um, and this was. I didn't think anything of it, and part of me wants to be like, there's no way that.
0: This is psychological. Yeah. But, uh, and and here you are, a you're a coach. You have all the, you seem to be very self aware, very self insightful. And that athletic brain of yours was saying, this is not, this is not psychological. This is something I can overcome. This is something I should just, I'll just put more weight on the fucking bar. Oh, I'm not allowed to say that. You can just put more more weight on the fucking bar and I'll power through it. Um, And I think that's a fiction, you know, when it comes to physicality, especially as you get older, look at Tiger, you know, look at Tiger, what the world wants from him and what he's actually able to do are two very different things. And I'm sure there's a battle waging in, in his psyche. Um, I, I just, I did some exercise. I'm 67. I, I went to the park this morning. I'm clearly, I think not yet fully ready to give up the fact that I can't jog anymore. But I do some, you know, some strong, some walking. I like to call it power walking because otherwise it just feels like old man walking. (laughs) Um, and I left the park after two miles. My knee is just fucking killing me. And I'm thinking, but you know, I've got my spandex on. I got a t shirt on. I'm not willing, nor will I ever be willing to let go of that part of my identity. That's centered around sports. That's an important piece of the mosaic of my identity. So you wonder about these athletes who are deprived of. Access to their journey. How? What do they do in that mosaic uh, when that piece is taken out? What's Tom Brady going to do? He's going to be a sports commentator. He's going right. to make commercials. He'll, he'll buy, you know, forty-five Auntie M's, you know, pretzel stores like Shack. He'll right, right. What he'll Do I'm not lamenting Tom Brady, but these kids, <laughs> these kids, and these young career athletes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Who, who tie their self esteem to their performance? You know. That's, I would think, an inflection point where good coaching, good psychotherapy would really find a place. And thanks for yeah. sharing your your vulnerability.
3: Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I, uh, like I said, I'm surprised I shared it out loud, but, but uh I, I think your insight is spot on. And, and I even had a, I had a visceral feeling when when you said that, like just load up the fucking bar and let, like let's go, because that is, that's my. There's no doubt, man, I'm getting the chills and thinking about it. That was my mindset. I was like, I'm going to walk this off. Larry, not to get too graphic, when this happened, okay, so I'm about, I was about 200, I'm going to say knocking on the door of 240 at the Are we time. Are doing therapy
0: at this moment? Am I charging you or is this just still no, conversation? No, I'm good, kidding. You. I'm
3: I'm no, kidding. that's a good point. I'm going to Venmo you right now. No, you don't have to say anything more about me. I'm just telling you this, just for the sake of story. This was, Like I collided with this freaking I collided with something and I hit it like this was an impact. This was a serious impact and I knew it. And as soon as I looked down at my knee, I could see into my knee, not to get too graphic, but I have a picture of it still on my phone. You were injured. This was a real thing. And I I was in denial of it. I was 100% convinced I was going to walk back to my house and drive myself to the hospital and I was going to be fine. I took two steps. I was like, I'm not going anywhere.
0: You know, like squat thrusts along the way. I was trying,
3: it's exactly right. So (laughs) no, that's, I, but I think that's really good. Okay. So how, how then do we bridge that gap? So we're talking about these experiences. The the, the opportunity is, is, is clear. How, how would a coach who got into a space because of their love of the sport or their, or or their desire to educate, how would they better inform themselves in this area? Because of course you're not suggesting that they become experts in psychotherapy, but um, be open to certain concepts. How would they bridge that gap?
0: Well, they would have to listen to this podcast and uh, pay you handsomely for consultation. This is it. Uh, they, I, I think it'll fall on deaf ears with some coaches. You know, they, they like any other professional, they may not be sufficiently self-aware or mature or evolved, or they may be under such external pressure to produce and to win that they, they, they may still be of that mentality. You know. Yeah you're just going to run another another couple of laps. You're just going to, you know, push through another another 20 30 kilograms. You're just going to, you know, go out there and hit another 100 200 balls. I think you'd have to assess their readiness and openness to looking at that relationship between them and the athlete, mm-hmm. between them and the sport, between them and their role as coach, between them and their relationship with achievement. all the things we've been talking about. Yep. I yep. think that to answer your question, a coach would need a coach to help them gain yeah. some awareness or understanding mm-hmm. of where they are in relationship to all those things that we've been talking about and that I just mentioned. Because uh, I don't know that okay. all coaches have much more of an ability than to just beat the shit out of their athletes and demand and demand and demand and beat them until they, they've they used them up, yeah. um, especially... You know, My golf teacher, I took up golf two years ago and my back is telling me that I'm way too old for it, but fuck it, I'm going to go out and hit balls. Um, My golf teacher works with some elite young athletes, you know, nine and ten-year-old kids who are performing on the world stage, but she's also a mother uh, and she understands that delicate balance between pushing and supporting, between demanding and um, asking, so... I think it also may have to do with how, whether or not the coach themselves is a parent. Um, yeah. Okay. There is, there is parenting that goes into coaching.
3: My, yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, and there's teaching. Some coaches are not interested in teaching. They're not interested in parenting. They just want their fucking athletes to perform. Yeah. Um, so I think um, when you when you say, how do we get a coach to be open to this? I think you'd have to assess their willingness to and their ability to be open to all these things that we've been talking about yeah
3: you know as i have gone down this executive coaching route as well um you, you get to people who are by nature high achieving already they've already gotten to a place where they're doing something special one of one of the people that's it and and um and whenever we start you assess their readiness whenever we talk to people at least on the on the front side of it we talk about well Tom Brady has like, well, he has like seven rings and probably seven to 10 coaches at any given time. You know, like the consistent, it's like the the higher the level of achievement and the more pressure to produce, maybe the more you need uh, outside support, if only to pull yourself out of the three foot view into the 30 foot or three mile view yeah. gives, to gives help someone give you perspective on all of this because you're so head down into the work.
0: And I think, you know... I'm not. I don't go to sleep every night and say a prayer for Tom Brady. Uh, boy, I hope this multi-billionaire, you know, does well. I don't care. He'll Uh, land on his feet. Part of yeah, I'm sure he'll land on his feet. But I would think that there's a place for therapists uh, working alongside of coaches during inflection points in athletic Mm. in athletes' careers, the transition from high school to college, uh, the transition from college to semi-pro, whatever they call it in football. The transition into a professional career, the transition out of a career, those developmental tr- inflection points would be important moments where insight and awareness yeah. and uh, potential for growth are really needed because, you know, the, what you experienced on that, during that injury and what a lot of young athletes experience is loss yeah. of identity that comes when they can't play or you know, maybe they were the big star in a small high school, but now they're just, you know, backup or second, third string in college. You know, maybe they were a star in the college, but, you know, they're, they're sitting on a bench somewhere. Uh, those inflection points where there are transitions to different levels of performance might be a really important point for – um psychotherapy counseling not all counseling is psychotherapy, not all psychotherapy right. is counseling right uh, And maybe after this you and I'll start a business uh, because it sounds like you're a, you can edit this out but it sounds like you're a go-getter <laughs> enough that there's, there's a there's possibility here for me I, but go ahead I, I
3: think no I think you're I think you're right. perfect. yeah no I think I think you're right um, and and one of the things one of the initiatives that we've started as a as one of the verticals within the good athlete project is this initiative called Team Embrace. And Mm -hmm. the concept is essentially embracing the conversation of mental health in athletics. And if you're part of a team, there's always someone to talk to, uh, and and if if nothing else, just trying to destigmatize the conversation. And man, I, I talked about this last night in a presentation I was doing. I wouldn't have been having this kind of conversation five years ago, not because I thought there was anything wrong with it. I was always an advocate of people getting the sort of support they needed always. I just never felt it in quite the same way. And, um, man, like you talk about, uh, proactive therapy is also in, uh, uh, something that's, that's been on my radar recently. And and it, it came because a member of my staff, I mean, he's a former college athlete. He's jacked up. He's, he's very fit. Um, he, he's going to, he's going to work out very regularly and someone mm. approached him and, and he was like, uh, it may not be going on the road, you think, but, but, but I hear that too. I hear just in the, hmm, someone asked him like, um, Why? Why do you? You don't have to go work out. Like, what are you doing? You don't have to go to the gym right now. And and his response was so thoughtful. He's like, "Well, I don't have to go to the gym because I go to the gym." You know, and and, you know, same same idea with with therapeutic intervention or prevention. If you mentioned if at those inflection points we have you have external support, like you do that. So that you can avoid the harder thing down the road. It, it you know. So if we can open people up to that idea, my goodness,
0: absolutely. I I go to the gym because I have to get in and out of my car. <laughs> right there you go, there you go. I have to put my pants on because i almost exactly seventy. Right. But, um, That's exactly. Right.
3: Well, okay. So down the final stretch, I want to close with this. If you're okay with it, I just want a little bit of your sort of, you know, bedrock foundational uh approach to this work like how what is at the in this i'm going right to it what's at the deep center of you what's just beyond the self what part of you what mindset drove you toward this work which work psychotherapy at large yeah boy um is that being, 2D being, a psychotherapist
0: or, being a psychotherapist or being an editor for psychotherapy? That's a great question.
3: So you are an editor. For people listening, you are the editor at psychotherapy.net. They should definitely go check this out. Both the, the I'm, also a college,
0: I'm also a college professor. Um, I think at the core was a, a need to perform in front of a live audience.
3: Okay. Uh,
0: a need for validation from others. Sure. that's sort of the dark side, the shadow side, the, uh, the adulation, the recognition. Hold on a second. I got I to, gotta no so I think the shadow of me, the shadow side from, from my youngest days, I just did the class con. I could make people laugh. Um, I got a pretty good vocabulary, pretty smart guy. So I could always command an audience whether I was doing workshops or in front of the class. Um, the other part of me, I think genuinely likes, to help, likes to be a teacher. Uh, used to be that I like to talk at in that role. Uh, now I'm more interested in talking with, learning from, yeah. um, growing through my relationships with students or clients, or in my work for psychotherapy.net. So um, I guess the, there are multiple bricks in my foundation. Some yeah. are a little uh, more fragile
2: <laughs> than mm-hmm.
0: others. Some are stronger. Uh, But all, I guess, have coalesced over the years to put me at at 67 as an editor, as a university professor, as uh, a nascent golfer, lousy weightlifter, uh, father, husband, um, mosaicist, citizen of the world, collector of antique bicycles. My mosaic has become more complex. And I guess I would like to think that some of these athletes and some of these coaches recognize that athletics is part of a mosaic. Uh, that forms the foundation of their lives. And it's it's more than sport that's going to get them through life. But some of the attitudes and beliefs and relationships that they develop on the field, on the ice, uh, in the office, on the couch, uh, they all contribute to, a, a I guess, a strong sense of self. I don't know if that even answered the question. I don't even know what
3: that No, It was an excellent response. And, and it really comes back. you you using the word self. Self-awareness has been a theme that you've mentioned continually through our conversation and i think that's spot on so um listen i i want to tell you i'm so glad that we connected in this way uh got off email and and in almost in person um i'm grateful for you and for your work and i'm excited to share it with our audience for sure i hope it's not the last time uh i'm excited by all you do so thank you for being with us today take care jim there you have a great one bye do you need business cards
1: do you need flyers posters custom thank you notes, or any sort of stationery to take your business to the next level? If so, then you've got to see the good people at Mighty Printing. They've got two locations. One of them is up north in Glencoe, Illinois. The other is right in the heart of Chicago on 180 West Washington Street. They do most of the printing for the Good Athlete Project, and we just could not do our business without them. They've also worked with teams like the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago Blackhawks. They've worked with Let Us Entertain You Restaurant Group. They do holiday cards. They do wedding cards. They help you. They help you not only celebrate special occasions, but make them that much more special. And like I said, if you are a small business owner or a large business owner, they will give you the sort of personalized service combined with incredibly high quality goods. You just can't find that combo, honestly, anywhere else. Find them online at MightyPrint.com. That's M-I-T-E Print, P-R-I-N-T dot com. And on Instagram, same thing, at MightyPrint, M-I-T-E Print. And tell them the Good Athlete Project sent you.